Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we talk Jets with Murad Atesh of The Athletic and look ahead to the Lions-Bomber game with BC color analyst Julio Caravada. So stay tuned to the podcast. We'll start, though, with the Winnipeg Jets, who wrapped up a season-opening road trip yesterday with a wild 6-5 defeat at the hands of Minnesota. It was chaotic. It was a bit of a meltdown. And tomorrow night, the Jets play their home opener against the Ducks. The team also today did the expected and sent Cole Perfetti down to the moose. So here to talk all things Jets is Murat Atesh of The Athletic, just about to board a plane to fly back to Winnipeg from the Twin Cities. Murat, let's start with the news of the day. Just your thoughts to begin on uh, Perfetti being sent down to the American Hockey League. I think the first thing I think is that we sort of saw it coming, didn't we? I mean, the way that Winnipeg arranged its cap structure, and you can do the deep dive with the athletic, has been a lot of words going through the nitty-gritty of the CBA, performance bonuses, LTIR, all of that stuff, seemed to necessitate, necessitate that Cole Perfetti would start the season with the Winnipeg Jets uh, if they were going to be calling him up at any point later. They started with him on the roster. Not only that, they gave him two games. I thought he played well. I thought his first game was actually excellent. I mean, no points or, or like highlight reel scoring chances, but it seemed as though every time he touched the puck, he was possession positive with it. He passed it to a teammate in a good spot. The puck moved to good spots. He was quietly very good positionally defensively. Uh, I think uh, an awkwardly timed change saddled him with a minus uh, in his second game. He didn't look quite as, as dominant, but it wasn't anything that I would have looked at to say this guy's has to come out of the lineup if he were a veteran or had more of an established role. So I can see people, if you're a Cole Perfetti fan out there right now, or if you're a fan of prospects or younger players on the roster, I could see that being a frustration. At the same time, I think what's probably going to be best for him is big minutes with the Manitoba Moose. He can be their number one center. Uh, He can play top power play. And that's a very good, dynamic, versatile team down there this year. I think he's going to be just fine in the long run for the Winnipeg Jets. So let's look uh, at this road trip. 0-2-1 for the Winnipeg Jets. So not, not, no wins yet. Obviously, a three-game sample size is tough to, to build any giant conclusions. But what would be the biggest highlight for you through three games looking at this team that, again, has not won a game yet? Well, I think for me... You know, the biggest highlight would probably be the first line's performance from an offensive point of view when Andrew Kopp joined Kyle Connor and Mark Shifley. I thought that Andrew Kopp, who is often maligned, right? We, uh, I get a lot of uh, pushback against the idea of, uh, of him as a top six forward. And certainly when you think of him doing spectacular offensive things, it's tough to find the exact example. But he's such a smart player. And last night in particular uh, against Minnesota, his passing was on. His timing was on. He was finding ways to be an effective player with Shifley and Connor. And, I mean, you have, uh, you know, multi-point nights for all three of those players. I know the game didn't end the way it was supposed to. And I think why I like that so much is it's kind of an argument for a little bit more diversity and variance through that top nine that Winnipeg has. I mean, Blake Wheeler will come back in time. But when he does, Winnipeg might have a debate on its hands. Instead of going with Connor Shifley and Wheeler, as they've done for so long, it might now know the lesson that, hey, a little bit of mixing it up can, can look to uh, create a lot of different chances and, uh, and, and goals. So I'm curious to see if they can keep that kind of performance up and then what decisions that forces, if any, when Blake Wheeler returns. Sticking on that topic for a moment, I've 
looked at, uh, you know, you, you look online and everybody has their own opinions about what the lines should be. And it's interesting that we get to see maybe a glimpse into the future right now of what life will be like when Wheeler is not on the top line anymore. He'll still be on the team, still a contributor, but maybe not for top line minutes. And this trio, you know, offensively looked really solid. Was there an improvement in your eyes defensively? Because I know the Connor Shifley Wheeler combo has put up some uh, rough numbers five on five defensively in the past. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you never want a top line to be outscored on the whole by the end of the year, especially when you're thinking of yourself as a, you know, a playoff contender, a cup contender. And that's happened to that group uh, in, in years past. The interesting thing I thought, and, you know, we got a, a really great glimpse of that line's defensive, um, you know, importance to the Jets because they were the ones out there to try to hold that lead at 5-4 against the Minnesota Wild with the Wild goalie pulled. And it looked like they had gotten the job done with that empty net goal. The offside turns it back. Then they give up the goal. Um, Paul Maurice went right back to them after a lengthy offside review process, which I thought was an interesting choice. You know, whether it's because of a belief that they're your best three defensive players, whether it's because they're, he's trying to mold them into that kind of reliable trio. Um, you know, Mark Shifley will be asked to carry more of that mail. Kyle Connor, I mean, Paul Maurice has talked since camp that it's not about creating as much as you know those guys will, but it will be about giving back less. And circumstances played out as they did. It didn't work out in Winnipeg's favor against Minnesota. At the same time, you know, I think that in a purely defensive mode, like pulling with a goalie pulled, is a little bit different than free-flowing five-on-five play, by which I mean they're in their zone and they know it. There's no flying the zone. There's no shorting a back check or any of those sorts of things. Uh, and, I, and I genuinely do think they're pretty good at that. I don't think that that's an area that I look to as assuming that they, they'd struggle. And after all that, Christian, I know that's a lot of words. I still think the play for this Winnipeg Jets team in those you know, high-pressure lead protection scenarios has got to be to include Andrew Kopp and Adam Lowry as two-thirds of whatever you put out there. And that could include Blake Wheeler when he comes back as well because he's a responsible uh, forward and a, and a competitive one in his own zone as well. You know, Winnipeg has options that don't depend on Shifley and Connor with the goalie pulled for the other team. Why do you think the penalty kill has been such a problem for the Jets this year so far? Um, you know, they're trying to figure out who is going to take that role. And I, and I think that they're going with, uh, you know, veterans like Blake Wheeler uh, when healthy, um, Paul Stastny as well, which hasn't necessarily worked. Riley Nash has had some awkward clearing attempts. I think that as they figure out who those players are going to be and build a little mystery as well, um, what they've been particularly poor with is getting pucks out of their zone. And whether that means winning the initial faceoff. I know that, you know, actually, I forget whether it was game one or game two already, but uh, Winnipeg gave up five face-off losses prior to a goal against on the PK. That can't happen. That's a recipe for disaster. And certainly against Minnesota as well, you saw Nash, I believe it was either two or three consecutive clearance attempts. And then if it wasn't him for the third, it was another Jet uh, leading to another face-off in Winnipeg's zone. And then a scrambled play in front of the Jets net that they can't quite clear. And, and so really, it seems to me that you know, whatever the X's and O's are, they're just not executing when they have the puck on their stick or they're in a battle situation to keep it out of the net or keep it out of the zone. Looking at the the Jets' power play, I know a lot of eyebrows were raised yesterday when Riley Nash was elevated to the top unit 
instead of someone like Nikolai Ehlers. I know Paul Maurice mentioned that it's about handedness and with a spot on the ice. It struck me as unimaginative personally. What did you think? Yeah, I can go with that word. That you know, even if you think it's a good idea, it's an unimaginative idea. And you know, I think that you framed it right. Winnipeg likes to Paul Maurice likes to make as few changes as possible, so he wasn't looking for systemic changes just a right-handed shot to replace Wheeler's right-handed shot. At the same time, isn't the stronger argument, you know, let your best skill players play? And that's where I, I, I kind of go with, is that counter. And I know the Jets actually scored on the power play, so let's not act like it was a disaster last True. night. They had a couple. Uh, and, you know, Riley Nash was in front of the net. I don't think he took Cam Talbot's eyes away. I think he was just off to the side. But, you know, he was part of a unit that got a goal. Um, and it seems to have worked out. At the same time... You know, I think that's going to be exactly what's symptomatic of you know, the areas to criticize Winnipeg Jets' decision-making. There was not a lot of creativity to it. Winnipeg had skilled players available. I mean, Cole Perfetti was sent down to the Manitoba Moose today. You may have looked at an opportunity to keep him in the lineup instead of going 11 forward, 7 defenseman and giving him a power play shot as well. Uh, or even, again, Sveshnikov, a Christian Veselainen as it, as it stands as well. Um, so it worked. But I'm just not sure about the sustainability of it all. And I think personally, I lean towards get your, you know, five most skilled players. Perhaps that was an opportunity for even Nick Ehlers to play a little bit more as well. I'm not sure. Um, but then they did score. So, I mean, take home with, from that what you like. Do you think any of the issues, and this is not to make excuses for the team, but any of the issues through three games stem from the fact that they've had to ice different lineups through all three games for various reasons? You know, I'll take their speak on this. Whenever you ask them about that, they always say, well, we're, we've played with each other often enough. Uh, you know, it's, it's not rocket science. Over the years, we've played with everybody. None of these combinations are new. Um, and I, I suppose with the exception of Cole Perfetti or, um, you know, Evgeny Sachnikov in the lineup, that is largely the case. So I'm not sure. I, I think that chemistry, you, you know, when you include not only that, but the new players in Schmidt and Dylan. Maybe playing a role, because I think what we're seeing on the ice is moments of structure, moments of strong play, moments where the passes connect and transition is clean, and moments where it's just anything but that. And the Jets are giving everything up, and the passes aren't connecting, and the same players who made good plays a moment ago are making you know awful ones, uh, uh, completely unsafe with the puck. So is that because of roster turnover? I don't know. I, I think it could be new systems. It could be players simply not playing well. I'm not sure necessarily what to say. I think there are signs of life, but some awfully um, you know, poor moments of Jets play as well. And on that note, a lot was made about the optimism going into the season defensively. New players, Schmidt and Dylan coming in. They're healthy on the back end. The first three games of the season have felt a lot like games we've seen in the last couple seasons when it was a bit of a fire drill in their own end. New personnel seems to be a lot of the same issues. Do you feel that way too? You know, again, that's a situation where I'm a bit touch and go because there are moments when it looks like last year and it shouldn't. You know, there are better puck movers. There are uh, better stoppers. They're on the team. Uh, that's not an issue that should be a long-term thing for Winnipeg. And if it persists, that's problem that's a problem that's problematic pardon me um and then the interesting thing that i that i take away is that this year as opposed to last i see evidence that they may solve that you know whereas last year it seemed like being buried in their own zone was almost inevitable sometimes with the on the the lineup uh, especially after Derek forbert's hot start 
cooled down. He, he sort of seemed to slow down by the end of the year. Morrissey and Pullman hadn't quite, you know, they, they were a little bit less than I think Morrissey and Schmidt would be. You know, I, this time, I think you do from time to time see the stop and see the puck movement crisp and the transition crisp such that you almost want to believe that um, that is going to continue to be that better team that was advertised. The thing is, they can't just do it half the time. And, and that's, I think, what the, the issue is right now. They're creating enough of their own problems that even if they make a beautiful pass once or twice or three times, uh, it's coming back at them the, the times they make some pretty awful mistakes as well. This last question goes beyond just being a, a person that covers the team just from a human point of view. How excited are you to be in a, a full barn arena tomorrow night here in Winnipeg? Yeah, so very excited is the answer to that. I mean, to come out of Minnesota where they, you know, announced the sellout, there were some empty seats, but I'm sure the tickets were all there. And it was loud. There were chants. You know, there was some pretty emphatic refuse suck kind of stuff. Um, and, and you could hear it throughout the building. They were jacked. They were excited. Um, I'm expecting the exact same thing from Winnipeg uh, on Thursday. And it's been a long time coming. You know, I, I just think that the community around all of this, the idea that we all share an experience, you and me from our chairs, the fans are number one in front and center of all of it. So hopefully they get a good game. Hopefully they get some improved defensive play. And they're just as loud as we've seen other buildings be for the first three games of the season. Ron, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this and a safe travels home tonight. Thank you very much, Christian. Happy to be here. BC Lions are fighting for their playoff lives as we welcome in Julio Caravato, the radio analyst for the BC Lions. You looking forward to coming to Winnipeg this weekend? <laughs> well, I, I'm sure. I, I've already looked. I'm sure the weather's going to be nicer there than it's going to be here. It has been raining. Cats and dogs here, like, for the last three or four days. We had a little bit of a break today, but, man, oh, man, has it been coming down. So I'm looking forward to coming to Winnipeg. I, I always enjoy coming out there. It's uh you know, I mean, it's such a great football town, and, and I'm sure there's quite a buzz about the Blue Bombers uh, now uh, and over the last few years because they've been such a good football team. Uh, man, they're, they're a lot of fun to watch. Their, their visit here a couple of weeks ago was my first opportunity to see them live and in person, and man, oh, man, did they put on a show. They are a complete football team. A 30-9 to win for the Blue Bombers back on October 1st. And that was part of what is now a three-game losing skid for the Lions. They lost to the Riders, and they got crushed by the Stampeders last weekend. What's the feeling right now in Vancouver about this team? Are, is kind of the bloom off the rose right now for this squad? Yeah, well, you know, anytime you lose three in a row, right, you know, everyone starts to, you know, everyone starts to talk. Everyone, you know, has their opinion of what's wrong with the football team and and, you know, it's all justified, right? When you, when you lose three games in, in a row and, and uh, you know, you haven't looked good in a couple of those games, then, um, you know, the questions are warranted. So, you know, last week was, was a, an opportunity for them at home to play the Stampeders and really, you know, help themselves out in that playoff push. And it, and it just wasn't there. And, you know, after the game, talking to Michael Riley, you know, he, he made it very – he stayed there pretty plainly. He, he wasn't good enough. And he didn't play well. He admitted that. And when your marquee player, um, you know, and especially the quarterback doesn't play well in this league, you, you, your chances of winning are slim and none. So, you know, I, I suspect, you know, Mike's a competitive guy. He's got a lot of pride. Um, he wasn't happy about the way he prepared. And um, it's not going to get any easier for him, right? The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are the real deal, right? Uh, 
as I said, they're as complete a team as there is. And defensively, they can hurt you a lot of different ways. And um, they're going to be a very, very difficult opponent for the Lions, given where their state is right now. Last time the Bombers played the Lions, it was the best game statistically for Zach Kolaris in a Bomber uniform, 28 of 33, 417 yards and two touchdowns. Kenny Lawler with 205 receiving yards as the Lions got absolutely torched. Part of the uh, the narrative in my sports cast going into that game was pointing out that the BC Lions were 4-2, and two, but they'd beaten the Red Blacks. That's not the most impressive thing to beat them twice. They beat a Stampeders team that had a quarterback on a broken leg, and it seems like they've definitely crashed down to earth against uh, better opponents. How? Yeah. What is the ceiling of this Lions team, in your opinion, this year? Well... I, I, okay, I'll be – so what I, I thought about them, honestly, on offense was that they were going to be very competitive. You know, you look across the board at the time, you know, and you look at what they had. You know, you look at Lucky Whitehead, Brian Burnham, Dominic, Dominic Rimes. You got Lamar Durant. You know, you had Shaq Cooper, who was the running back at the time. You had a, you know, a very – you know, a, a pretty solid offensive line. Um, it was defensively that I had the question marks because there were so many changes. You know, they had, you know, I mean, they, I think they had five, uh, you know, new players up front on the defensive line, like guys that have played football, had been on practice rosters in the NFL, but new to the CFL. They had a rookie middle linebacker in Jordan Williams. They had a rookie wide side half in Keontae Harden. They had a rookie at wide side corner in um, Jalen Edwards Cooper. So there was a lot of, you know, question marks defensively because of inexperience and youth. Um, but it's turned out to be the opposite, right? Like, it's the offense that's really struggled. And, and I'm not going to lie, you know, losing Lucky Whitehead for this team has been a very, very big psychological blow. They, you know, he, he brought a certain element, that, that big play, explosive play capability that every single time he touched the ball that he was capable of taking it to the house. And he, and he, and he has done that on, on a few occasions. But when we lost them to uh, when we lost them early on in that Winnipeg game, it really seemed to deflate them. Um, and uh, you know they've got to find a way to be able to keep themselves on the field and move the ball. I mean their defense has been out there quite a bit. They need to be able to sustain some drives. And another big part of that was they just haven't been able to run the ball, right? And that's on a consistent uh, basis that you need, especially heading into this time of the year where weather is going to start to be a factor. So. Um, you know, there's a lot of big question marks about the Lions. Uh, I've, I've got no doubt that, you know, they've got some veterans. They've got some guys that are going to stand up and fight. Um, and, and hopefully that's going to be good enough because they need, they need to find a way to win a game. BC Lions have rushed for 552 yards in nine games this year. For contrast, the Bombers have run for 1,134 yards. Part of that is the Bombers have been ahead a lot. But at the same time, you mentioned the Lions just, haven't been able to do anything in the run game. A big part of their offense when Lucky was in the lineup was go deep, we'll hit you. And now that's out of the line, out of the possibilities. And so it seems like they've struggled mightily. I mean, I, the, the proof yeah. is in the in the numbers. They've scored 19 points yeah. in the last two games. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're, you're, you know, there's no denying that, right? You're absolutely right. Like you got to be, you know, if you're not running the ball, then you've got to be successful. You know with screens and dumps and hitches and slants on first down to get you, you know, five or six yards. We're on second and four. Now you're, you know, you, you're, you have a threat, right? Like there's a threat to run the ball. There's a threat to play action. There's a plan. You know, I mean, you can do a bunch of different things, but if you're, 
If you're second and nine or second and ten, right, you can't throw the five-yard hitch. It's not going to get you anything. And they did that a number of times last week where, you know, they're second and long and they throw a six-yard hitch and they come up, make a tackle, and they're still three yards short, right? Like, that's, that's just not going to fly. Like, I think they're worst in the league, I think, because they're – Second t- their second down attempts, I think, are eight-plus yards on average. And, and that's just not going to get it done, right? Like, it's, it's something that they know they're aware of, and, but it's something that it, it probably at this time of the year it's difficult to fix, right? And as I said, the one thing about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, right, is that if you allow Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat and the rest of that you know, defensive front seven to know – hey, on second and 10, we know exactly what you're doing, and they're just going to pin their ears back and come, come at you. Well, they're pretty hard to defend, right? You, you've got to give, I've always said, a defensive line that's as good as theirs, you've got to give them things to think about rather than just saying, I'm going to pin my ears back and get after the quarterback. And, and if the Lions don't do that, it's going to be a long afternoon for them. Well, look forward to, to seeing the action this weekend. Julio, safe travels to Winnipeg. It's supposed to be, I think, 8 degrees but sunny Saturday, oh, so it beautiful. shouldn't be too bad for you. I'll bring my chapstick because I know I'm going to need it. <laughs> All right, thanks for joining me tonight. Take care. No problem, buddy. Take care. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m., of course. That is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell, until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share our intellect.